All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our new series this morning on being established in righteousness. This is part two. Uh, we'll probably have at least about seven parts to this series. Uh, anyway, this is our foundational teaching that we teach in this church, and we teach it periodically, and uh, here we are again. So anyway, so you know, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel. Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with your tithes and your offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to the give page and all the instructions are there. Okay, so uh, like I said, we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on being established in righteousness. We'll be here for a few weeks here, uh, several weeks, uh, probably into uh, December, just before Christmas. And so that's right around the corner. As we are ending November, uh, October right now, and uh, we start November this week. Anyway, that said, last, as I mentioned last week, this is a series that we teach all the time. This is the foundational teaching of this church. Everything we teach is based on this teaching. And this teaching, I've basically broken it down to five different modules or five different sub-teachings, all combined under the umbrella of being established in righteousness. This first teaching, with the subheading, Establishing the Unity of the Faith, is probably the longest of the five, but it's really just a, a precursor, uh, a preface to the main message that we're going to get into. Okay, This first message is kind of a two-part sub-series, under the umbrella of uh, being established in righteousness, this subsidiary being titled Being Established in the Unity of the Faith, is really just a prelude, uh, setting the stage, the foundation for the rest of the series. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Okay? And this is the longest of the five, um, but this is, so there's kind of two parts. So we started last week. And uh, we, we talked about how there is one message, and there's one main message that we preach in this church, okay? And that message is how it is based on how beautiful upon the mountains of the feet of him who brings this good news, who brings this gospel, proclaims peace, brings glad tidings of good things, and proclaims salvation to Zion, his church, his bride, his people, who says, your God reigns. We'll expand on this verse more as we go throughout the series. We also look from Romans 1, 16 to 17 of the King James. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel? The good news. The good news that we are, we are proclaiming. And this gospel of Christ is, is not, it's not just, uh, it does not just lead you to the power of salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, therein what? The gospel is a righteousness of God revealed. The gospel is not only the power of God unto salvation, and we'll expand on that in great detail as we go forward, but in this gospel is a righteousness of God revealed. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God that we are supposed to be establishing. And it, it does it from faith to faith as it is written, the just, or the righteous, same Greek word, shall live by faith. 
We, the righteous, we, the just, live by faith. And this righteousness that we live by from faith to faith is revealed in the gospel of Christ. We also talk about under this heading, there's one message. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he let off this, uh, 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 there's actually two, there's two uh, letters that he wrote <coughs> to the church of Corinth. And he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. Because I beseech you. And he's beseeching us by the name that's above all names. Paul is beseeching us in the strongest language he can use without cussing. And he's beseeching us in the name of Jesus that we all speak the same thing. And that we... And, and what is that? To preach the gospel. Paul was not called to baptize. Are we against baptism in the right context? No. We baptize in this church. But that's not my primary calling. We, 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 we see people baptized in water, and we see people baptized in the, in, the, in the Holy Spirit. And in January, I'm going to spend some time talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure exactly what direction I'm going yet, but that's what the Lord's been putting on my heart about being filled with the Spirit. And we, 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 I teach on the importance of that. But that's not my main calling. And we use that to, to facilitate our main calling, and that is to preach the gospel. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism of water. We need the baptism of this church. There's three different baptisms. But we need all that. But our main purpose, we, all that is to help us preach the gospel. Not with man's wisdom, but with the power of God. Because the gospel is foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to the, to, to, the, to the religious folks. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. We need to be preaching one message. And this message is the gospel of Christ. And this gospel reveals the righteous trying to go back here reveals the excuse me whoa I'm down. reveals the righteousness of God okay and that's the message we preach we also talk from Hebrews chapter 3 I mean chapter 1 beginning 1 in verses 1 to 3 that God has been speaking at all times throughout history since the beginning, since the, the genesis of all things. And through various times and various matters, he's spoken to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he's now spoken to us through his son. His son, who's the appointed, who's been the creator of the world. His son, who is the express image of his person. His son, who is upholding all things by the word of his power, when he himself purged our sin. In other words, God is not, not only speaking to us. He spoke to us at times past through the prophets. He's now speaking it to us through Jesus. And this Jesus whom he speaks to is not only the creator of the world, is not only the express image of the Father, but he is upholding all things by the word of his power when he purged our sins and sat down at the right, right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, 
If the cross isn't true, if him purging our sins is not true, because that's the specific word, the one message that he's upholding all things. Because the cross is true, because this one message that we are to preach, that God is preaching through his son to all people, is true. He's upholding all things. If the cross, the message of the gospel, what's the gospel? The birth, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. That's good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. And we'll stand on that a lot more in detail later on. <clears throat> but he is upholding all things by the power of his word. And what word? When he himself purged our sins. That one word, him purging our sins, is upholding all things. And if that wasn't true, we would not just turn to good. We would just cease to exist. We would evaporate. We would be extinct. And not only us be extinct, the whole cosmos would be extinct. God's upholding everything he created. Everything he's ever done. On this one word, when he himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's awesome. So we use this as a prelude, a prelude of preludes, and to talk about the unity of the faith, because there's one message that we're supposed to be preaching. We define this from Andrew Womack on what unity is. And Andrew Womack says, love is the bond of perfection that holds all things together. We are bounded together by doctrine, but we must have a shared foundation of doctrine to have true unity. I want to read that again. Love is a bond of perfection that holds, holds us together. Okay? And we are bounded together by doctrine, but we must have a shared foundation of doctrines to have true unity. We need love. Okay? Love binds us together, yes. But if the foundation, you and I, the doctrine, the foundation of what we believe is not the same. It's going to be hard to have, if not impossible, to have true unity. Okay? I can love you if you disagree. We can, in a sense, coexist. If we disagree, in a sense, we can tolerate one another if we disagree. But for us to have true unity, there is, there is one message, one foundation that we must agree on to have true unity. And based on that, see, unity is not coexisting. Unity is not tolerance of false doctrine. Unity must share a common foundation, righteousness and truth. And we will... We will expand on that in later lessons, okay? So, last week we ended, we're talking from Ephesians chapter 1. Now, before I go there, put it on the screen. Paul prayed four prayers. Now, some people are like, Paul only prayed four prayers? No, he prayed a lot of prayers. And there's more, more than four prayers even in Scripture, okay? But there's four main prayers, four long prayers, four 
major prayers that he prayed that are recorded in the, the New Testament letters. Two of them are Ephesians chapter 1 and 3, and then one to Colossians chapter 1, and the other one's Philippians chapter 1. I, a couple of years ago, I did a message on these four prayers of Paul, and I thought it behooves us to, to read these prayers and study these prayers, because when I read these prayers, I understand how Paul, what, what was in Paul's heart? What did he want us to know? What did he want us to experience? How did he pray for the church? How did he pray for you and me? Okay? We hear his heart there, but we also hear his main doctrine there. The main thing that he, it was on his heart, that God put on his heart. These prayers that were not only prayed by Paul, but they are scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. These prayers are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they're recorded for us. So this first one is in Ephesians chapter 1. We're not going to be looking at all four in this message. We will be looking at two in this message. The first one is Ephesians chapter 1. And who, we're picking up the preludes of the prayer right here. He's talking about Jesus as the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. And then he, gets, then he goes into this prayer, beginning in verse 17. He prays that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches and the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his mighty power which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him on the right hand in heavenly places. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that to come. I want to pause there just for a moment. So Paul's praying that we would have a spirit of wisdom and knowledge, revelation and knowledge in what? Of him. Of Jesus, that we would have a revelational knowledge of Jesus. That the eyes of our understanding, that we would know, that we may know. He wants us to know something. He wants us to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, he wants us to know the hope of our calling, the glory of our inheritance. And he wants us to know the same greatness of power towards us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He wants us to know this power. There's some things that Paul wants us to know. He wants the eyes of our heart to be open to this one message that we preached about last week and a little bit this morning. Paul wants us to know this one message. Okay? He wants us to know the hope of our calling, the invitation of our calling. He wants us to know the... the pro Know the promise of our inheritance. He wants us to know that his power of the finished work of the cross, of the worthy lamb who was slain for us. He wants us to know the power of his resurrection. So if, you, if, you, if you're taking notes, there's four things that he wants us to know. He wants us to know this one message. A revelation of the gospel of Jesus. He wants us to know 
That's the first thing. The second thing is to remember the hope of our calling. The third thing is he wants us to know the power. I'm sorry. He wants us to know the, the promise of our inheritance. The fourth thing is that he wants us to know the power of the finished work of Jesus, the worthy lamb. And the fifth thing, I think I said four, but it's five. He wants us to know the power of the resurrection. Paul wants us to know this. All five of these things are included in this gospel of righteousness. All five of these things are included in knowing the finished work of the cross. All five of these things are included in knowing this great salvation that we have. All five of these things are included in knowing Jesus, our righteousness. Okay, and we'll be expounding on these things as we go forward. And then he concludes the prayer, and he put all things under his feet, and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who's on all. So he's praying about, there's some things that he wants us to know. He wants us to get a revelation on. There's some things he wants us to understand. There's, it all falls under this one main message called righteousness that we'll be expounding on as we go forward. Okay? And then he concludes the prayer by saying he has put all things underneath his feet. Because the cross is true, because our inheritance is true, because our calling is true, because Jesus is true, because the resurrection is true, and we know the power of it, he has put all things under our feet. Because if he's put all things underneath his feet, and he's the head of his body, and we are the body, all things are underneath our feet. I don't know about you, but my feet are not connected to my head. They are connected to my legs. They are connected to my torso. That's connected to my head. And if he's put all things underneath his feet, and he's the head, he's not the feet, he's the head. We are the body, and the body contains the feet. He's put all things underneath our feet. When we are established in righteousness. And righteousness, I'm getting a little ahead of myself in, in our series, is the foundation of his throne. Where he's sitting at the right hand of God. He's put all things underneath our feet. And we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's put all things underneath our feet. Like I said in the previous series, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. And when we get a revelation and an understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus, God in Christ has put all things under our feet in Christ. That's powerful. The same 
resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is inside of us. The same inheritance, the same anointing, the same calling is inside of us. And he's put all things underneath our feet, the church. Now, a few years back, I forget what year this was, I think it was 2016, or somewhere in that neighborhood. A group of our church at the time, some friends of ours from the college we were attending at the time, we, did, we took a mission trip down to Mexico. And we were actually going to hand out about a thousand hot dogs in some very specific areas that we were going to evangelize. And we got down there, we crossed the border, we, we were staying at the house that, we were, we were, that was hosting us. We found out the night before that uh, the place that we were going to hand out the hot dogs was raided by the police, and so therefore our, our initial plan was foiled. And we had to come up with a new idea of how to handle all these hot dogs that we just transported over the border. But that first night we were sleeping, and we let the ladies sleep in the, in the, in the nice comfy beds upstairs by us guys. We slept on the couches on the floor downstairs. And I was sleeping on the floor and, uh, that first night. And while I was there, when sleeping, I get a lot of what I call God dreams, but this dream was very different than any other what I call God dreams that I've ever had before. In this particular night as I was dreaming, I kept seeing myself preaching a very simple message. It had about four or five, maybe six verses at the most. And I kept preaching the same message over and over again in my dream. And about 20 times of having the same dream over and over again, I finally asked the Lord, okay, I got the message. Can I at least get some sleep now? And so he granted me some sleep, and I got some sleep. And when we got up in the morning, my, 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 my good friend, who was actually our navigator uh, down in, in Tijuana, Mexico, he said, I want you to come with me. We're going to go meet some pastors in the area. Now, we had no plan of going there. We were actually going to do something else. But while the ladies were cooking up the hot dogs, and we're still trying to find out what we're, what we're going to do with these hot dogs, um, and we did. We, we did hand them out. We had a lot of ministry. But before all that took place, my friend uh, took me to this, uh, where these pastors were, were gathered. They didn't know we were coming, and we didn't know we were going. But when we got there, when we arrived, I'd never met these pastors before. My friend knew some of them. Uh, but I'd never met them before. They didn't know where we were coming. I didn't know where we were going. And But when I got there, they asked me to preach. And they, I knew exactly what to preach because God gave me the message all night. Uh, and I, I just, it was a very simple message, four or five verses, maybe six at the most. And it all had to do with feet. It all had to do with feet. This was one of the first, first verses God gave me that night message that God has put all things underneath our feet. You know, and feet are very powerful. You know, it says, I don't have it on the screen this morning, but in um, Ephesians chapter, same, same, <coughs> same, same book, in Ephesians chapter 6, when he's talking about the armor of God, verse 15 says that he shot our feet with the gospel of peace. And one of our key verses for this series that we talked about last week he has put how beautiful are the feet of him who brings this good news. The 
proclaims peace, proclaims salvation, declares Zion, your God reigns. And this message of feet is also seen in Joshua when they entered the promised land and God told them, have a place of the soul of your feet will tread. I've given it to you. It's echoed in, in chapter 3 uh, when they did actually enter into the promised cross of Jordan's and the shogun come back as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord. <coughs> the Lord of the earth shall rest in the river waters of the Jordan. That the waters of Jordan, water of Jordan, shall be cut off, and the waters shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Excuse me. So point I'm trying to make right here, and this is all prelude to our message on righteousness, and it goes back to this prayer of Paul's, that he has put all things underneath our feet. And our feet are beautiful when we are shod with the gospel piece to preach this good news, this gospel. This one message that we are supposed to be preaching, the gospel. That we, this gospel that reveals his righteousness. And every place that our feet will tread, he's given it to us. Why? He's put all things underneath our feet. He's the God. He's the Lord of the earth. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And as soon as the soul of the feet of the priests, who are the priests in the New Testament, well, it says in Revelation, we'll talk about this in great detail later. But Revelation 5, they're talking about how they, the, 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 he, the heavenly hosts, the heavenly Sanhedrin, sang a new song. And they begin to sing how you were slain and redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests. To our God, and we shall reign on earth. Why are we reigning? He's put all things underneath our feet. What make what caused us to reign? The blood of Jesus, the finished work of the cross. This is the gospel. The gospel has caused us to reign in peace, and every place the soles of our feet shall tread. He's already He's already given it to us. So much that even when they cross the Jordan, and we bear the ark, we bear the presence of God, the tabernacle of God. And as, and, 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 and as the soles of our feet step into the Jordan, even at flood stage, because that's, that's the backdrop of the story, it's flood stage. This isn't when the river was down to a trickle. This was flood stage. The river was overflowing its banks at this time. But it says that it was when the waters came down, it was stand in the heap. Now, when you say this word heap in the Hebrew, it means they will bow. Bow to what? Our feet. Why our feet? Because our feet, he's put all things underneath our feet. And our feet, let me go back, sorry. Our feet have been shot with the gospel of peace. Proclaiming this peace. 
in every place we go, our feet have God has given to us. Even the waters of Jordan will bow to our feet. There's one message we need to be preaching. Our feet have been shod with this message. And God, through the gospel, has put all things under our feet. And Paul wants us to be enlightened to know this. We'll expand on that in great detail later, but in, in um, Ephesians chapter 6, he says, finally, finally, my brother, again he's talking to the church, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principality powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I don't have it on the screen, I should, but in this he shot our feet with the gospel. Among any, many, you know, I'll expound I'll on this in great detail later. But I can tell you right now that every piece of this armory that we are supposed to put on, we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. And every piece of this armory is all about righteousness. And especially the breastplate of righteousness. And I will point out later, I will expand later on how every piece of this armory is about being established in righteousness. Being established in righteousness is your armory against the devil, against all principalities and powers. Like I said, there's two prayers of Paul in Ephesians. Let's go look at the second one in Ephesians chapter 3. Okay. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom the whole family in heaven knows his name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Very similar to uh, the first prayer. And he goes on, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height, that you know the full dimension of his love. Now I'm going to have a whole, whole lesson, whole section about being established in his love. We'll get there in a couple weeks. Okay, so I will come back to this prayer. But I just want to highlight some things now in the, in the, in the introduction. This introduction is two weeks long. Okay, so that's how much long this introduction is. And to know the love of Christ, which passes or surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul wants you to know the love of God so much, more than just. No, intellectual knowledge. She wants you to experience the love of God, to know, to experience intimately the love of God that surpasses just knowing about God that she might be filled with his fullness. Okay. Now, again, when we hear God Paul's prayer, we're hearing his heart. And he wants us to know, the, again, the full dimension of God's love. And when we talk about knowing the full dimension of God's love, well, what's love? True, we can read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, called the love chapter, and that will give you a very good description of what the love of God is. But I like one thing I like about the Apostle John, he tells you what love is. Because he said, herein 
Well, had a, my clicker is going super fast this morning. This is love. What's love? John tells you the answer. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, we're going to spend a whole segment on this. Okay? But notice for now, as we're talking about the unity of the faith, as we're talking about being established in the unity of the faith, we, there's one message we need to be preaching. This message is, has shot our feet with the gospel of peace. This message is the armory of God. This message is that we would know his love. What's his love? What's, how, how are we supposed to know his love? Because what's love? His love is that he died for us. He became our propitiation. What does that mean? He was our substitute. Jesus went to the cross, died for you so that you did not have to die. He, he experienced God's wrath for you so you don't have to experience God's wrath. He went to hell for you so you don't have to go to hell. And he went to hell bringing captivity captive. He brought the keys. Why? He had no sin. Okay? And we can go a lot deeper with some of this. But right now this is just a prelude of some things. Hopefully I'm making sense. I'm thinking about doing live streaming. I can't see your, if you're comprehending what I'm saying. But he wants us to know the full dimension of his love. Okay? He wants us to know the full dimension of his love. And he wants us to know this, the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that we can be filled with his fullness. Okay, we're supposed to know this love. What's love? Love is that he's, he loved us and died for us. He sent his son, Christ, to die for us and be the propitiation, the substitute for our sins. And again, we'll discuss this in a lot more detail in later lessons. He wants us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Let's go back to that real quick. Okay? We know the height and depth of his love, and we know his love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants to be filled with his fullness. God doesn't want to just patch us up. See, it's not just about going to heaven and avoiding hell, and that is a major truth. That is a major, 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 major truth. I'm not watering it down. But going to heaven and avoid hell is not the main message. The main message is us being filled with God's fullness and having a relationship with Him. The best thing about heaven is God is there. The worst thing about hell, God is not there. It's about having a relationship with God, not just going to heaven and going to hell and not knowing Him. How many will he say that day? I never knew you. He wants to know us. He wants a relationship with us. Guess one of the greatest benefits is that we get to go to heaven and avoid hell. 
But that's the only reason you want to get saved is to go to heaven and avoid hell, but you don't want a relationship with God. You missed the boat. You missed the point. And you're selfish. God didn't die for you just because he loved you. God died for you to have a relationship with you. And there's many great benefits of this relationship. But if the only benefit you care about is that you go to heaven and avoid hell, and that's a major benefit, but that's all you care about, you're selfish. You're missing the main message. That is a major message. But you're still missing the main message. I hope you get my point. Yes, nobody wants to go to hell. Yes, everybody wants to go to heaven. But the main message is the relationship with God. Is knowing Him and being filled with His fullness. He bought you with a price to fill you with Himself. His Spirit. He wants to you know the love. He wants you to know his love and surpassing knowledge. He wants us to be filled with the very fullness of it. We should be experiencing God on such a deep level. If you need healing, if you need healing, well you have his fullness. Okay, I pointed the wrong part of it. If you need if you need provision, well you have his fullness. Do you need some wisdom? You have his fullness. You need some direction? You have his fullness. Whatever's going on, whatever you need, you have his fullness. So many people want healing, but they don't want a relationship with the healer. They want salvation, but they won't want a relationship with the Savior. They want provision, but they won't want a relationship with the provider. They want wisdom, but they don't want the relationship with the God of all wisdom. You just want to rub his belly like a genie. You can get your three wishes, but no relationship. God wants to fill you with his fullness that it, whatever you need, it's already underneath your feet. He wants to be able to do far above and beyond to him who is able to do exceedingly. And abundantly above all that we ask or think according to, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church, like Christ Jesus, to all generations forever. What power is working? <coughs> excuse me. What power is working in us? Well, I could go all where Ephesians chapter three. I could go back to the first prayer. The same power to raise Christ from the dead. That's powerful enough to do all this. What other power is that work? Well, his love. What's love? He became the propitiation for your sins. That's powerful enough to do all this. If his love was powerful enough for you to purge your sins, is it enough to do all this? But what power is working in you? His fullness. You can't get more powerful than that. His fullness. It's not half of God, part of God, quarter of God. 
People ask me this all the time. Do you believe in the full gospel? Well, I don't believe in half the gospel. I believe in the full gospel. Okay? Charismatic, yes, I believe in all the gifts. Pentecostal, yes, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm all above. Stop segregating Christ. Okay? We are filled with the fullness of God. And God wants you to be filled with his fullness. Okay? Again, this is a prelude to where we're going to be going to uh, in our next lesson. Real quick. Let's go here on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We'll look at this a little bit later. Sorry. Let me find myself. I'm having issues with my clicker this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, we'll look at this later in more detail. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling for which you were called. We all, he's talking to the church. He's not just talking to pastors. He's Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 1. He's going to get to that in 11 verses. Talk about who, who are the fivefold ministry. But we all have a calling. Another way of looking at this, this, this word calling can also be translated invitation. You've all been invited to participate in something big. Something awesome. And Paul is beseeching you as a prisoner of the Lord to walk worthy of your invitation, of your calling. Walk worthy of it. And we spent a lot of time talking about this in a previous series. And we'll be looking at this a little bit later. And in this invitation, he talks about how there is how we should be in, we should be endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about being established in righteousness, but the prelude to that, we're talking about the unity of the faith, and that's where I'm going right now. Everything I've been sharing so far is like there's one message. And everything I've been sharing so far has been really a scattergun of different things that we're going to be talking about through all the series, I'm going to be diving into these a lot more deeper. A lot of these things I've shared so far. Okay? But we are supposed to work worthy of our calling. Loving one another. Not devouring one another. Okay? We're supposed to walk in unity of the Spirit. Because there is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, and one God. Now, in all reality, there's three different baptisms, but there's one baptism that will, that will usher you into the family of God. Okay? And I'll, I'll expand on that a lot later in our teaching. Okay? But in context of what he's talking about, there's one baptism by which you were baptized into the body of Christ. Okay? You, there's a baptism into the body of Christ, there's a baptism into water, and there's a baptism into the, the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. There's three baptisms. But in what he's talking about in context here, there's one body, not multiple bodies, 
There's one spirit. There's one hope. There's one faith. There's one baptism. The end is one God. We're talking about the unity of the faith here. Okay. And this one God is the Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. We have his fullness. Okay. Now let me get to my main part here in this first segment of talking about the unity of the faith. Again, I, I've, I've spent everything I've, I've done so far talking about there's one message. And I've gone on many different rabbit trails, intentional rabbit trails, that we will expand on in greater detail as we go forward in this series. Are you following me so far? This whole message, last week and this week, is an introduction to where we're going. Okay? It's, like, it's kind of like I'm giving you a tour of the house, and I'm showing you all the rooms, and we're going to go back and look at each room in detail. Okay. But now let me, now I'm going to bring you back to the entry, the entry rack, the foyer. And this is the main thing I want to speak in these first two messages, and then we'll, we'll, we'll build on this and go much deeper in this in the next several weeks. Okay. So we're still in Ephesians chapter 4, but we're going to pick it up in verse 11, where Paul says, And he gave some, for apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The operative word so far is the word some. Not everybody's an apostle, not everybody's a pastor, not everybody's an evangelist, and these are gifts to the church. They are gifts to the church. But he gave the five, what we also call these, these gifts, the five-fold ministry. Why did he give these? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. There's a colon here, I'll come back to that colon in a minute. Okay? He gave the five-fold ministry for three reasons. For the perfecting of the saints. And we'll expand on that in just a second. And he's perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. They're not doing the ministry. They're perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. And what's the ministry? What's the ministry he's perfecting them for? For the edifying of the body of Christ. <coughs> so again, the fivefold ministry. Whether you are an apostle or whether you are a pastor, your job description is to perfect the saints so that they can minister and edify one another. That's your calling. That's the calling we're talking about here. Oh. Oh. Okay. Calm down. That's the calling we're talking about here. Okay? That's the context. Same chapter. Now, there's a lot of things we can think back here right now. We're not done. We're going to go all the way to verse 16 here, okay, with the time that I have left. But let me, let me piggyback on some things. To perfect the saints, okay, we can give the Bible ministry for the perfecting of the saints. Let, let's look at this phrase here real quick, the perfecting of the saints. Because my job as a pastor is to perfect the saints. Okay? And now... 
I can spend a lot more time than what I will, but I'm going to talk about this briefly real quick over here, okay? The first place I want to go to with this is in 2 Timothy, because Paul talked about this perfecting of the saints in 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And he says, and, and 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote to his apprentice, Timothy, a young pastor. He was raising up. <coughs> and we'll look at this in more detail later, but let's look at it for now. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is thoughtful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, what? In righteousness. That's what we are talking about in this main series. <coughs> Excuse me. So again, we're perfecting the saints. The fivefold ministry is to perfect the saints. How are they perfect the saints? With all scripture. And all scripture is profitable for what? Four things. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. We could also read this verse this way. All scripture is profitable to read give you doctrine and righteousness, to give you reproof in righteousness, to give you correction in righteousness, to give you instruction in righteousness. Why? So that you, the man of God, might be fully equipped for every good work. I believe it's in the King James that you might be perfected for every good work. And the word equipped and the word perfected are the same word. Are you following me? We're talking about being established in righteousness. We're also talking about, in the prelude of things, talking about being established in the unity of the faith. We're all supposed to pre preach one message. And us, the fivefold ministry, our calling is to perfect the saints. How do you perfect the saints? You perfect the saints in righteousness through the word of God. So that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, may be thoroughly, may be thoroughly perfected for every good work. Because the word equipped and the word perfected are the same word. It just depends on how it's translated and what translation you're using. I should have put the King James on the screen. But it'll be perfected for every good work. Let's look at another example. Okay? In Colossians, Paul says the same thing. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints, to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is in Christ which is, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning that every man teaching and every man in the all wisdom, we may present every man perfect in Perfection. Okay? It's also echoed in Ephesians chapter 5, where it's talking about husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing by, by the water, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husband not to love their wives and their own bodies, that he who loves his wife loves himself, or no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. He goes on, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what are we saying? We're saying that of our fivefold ministry, we're supposed to perfect the saints. We use all scripture for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The mystery of the gospel. We're supposed to preach it, teach it, get people indoctrinated and reproved and corrected and trained by it. The mystery of the gospel, so that they might be presented to Christ as a, as a perfect church. Christ has, in, in a, back here in a, Ephesians 5, which will, if you continue to read the book, Christ loved the church. He's the one that sanctified and cleansed her. He perfected her. He presented her to himself, a glorious, a perfect church. Without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. That's perfection. Okay? Are you following me so far? What perfects you? Your good works? No. There's only one thing that perfects you, and that is the blood of Jesus. He will, cleanse, he will cleanse you. He will sanctify you. He will present you to himself, a glorious church. And when you are become a glorious church because you know who you are in Christ, then you will do good works. You don't do good works to become perfected. You become perfected to do good works. Don't get the cart before the horse. We're supposed to do good works, but we're not saved by our good works. If you think you're saved by your good works, you're telling me that Jesus did nothing. That's the spirit of Antichrist. The Antichrist, Antichristo, in the Greek means instead of or against Christ. And you're saying, tell me there's a, different, a, there's a different way to get saved than through Jesus? That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's instead of Christ. I'm all for good works. But good works is the fruit, not the root. You didn't get saved because you were good enough. You were a sinner, alienated from the life of God. You were an enemy of God. And he died for you. He cleansed you. He set your feet upon the rock. He perfected you. Now go, to, now, now go and do good works. You were a sinner, but now you're holy. Now go live holy. Go do good works. Why? Because he cleansed you to go do works. He got you all cleaned up. He perfected you. So how do we perfect the saints? How do we perfect the saints? We teach them the gospel. The gospel that reveals the righteousness of God. We teach them the truth. We get them indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in His righteousness so they are equipped to do good works. You, until you know who you are in Christ, you are not equipped to do anything good. Only a good tree can bear good fruit. 
until you receive Jesus and he cleanses you up and you are engrafted into Christ, the blood of Jesus, because you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the enduring word of God. You don't have the capacity to do good works. But now that you are redeemed, you are set cleansed and sanctified by Jesus as a glorious church, you are now equipped to do, you're perfected to do good works. You don't get the glory. Christ in you get the glory because you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. He gets the glory, not you. You died. You, cruci you were crucified in Christ. You died. He lives. And he's the one doing the good works in you. Until you die, you can't live. Now that's a, that sounds like an oxymoron. Until you die, you can't. You gotta crucify the flesh. You gotta put off the old man and the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm getting way ahead of myself here in the series. But our job is to perfect the saints. How do we do that? We preach good news. We preach the gospel that reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith for the just shall live by his faith. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We preach that gospel. That's the power of God to save you, to reprove you, to correct you, to train you. Now let's real quickly, let's look at the work of the ministry. The little bit of time that we have left here. For the work of the ministry. What ministry? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, For the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones. Now there was only one thing that was great engraved on stones, that's the law. So the law is the ministry of death. But the, even though the law was the ministry of death, it had glory. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. What glory was this? The law. The ministry of death had glory. That glory was, was bright. And that glory was bright enough that the, the, the children of Israel could not look at Moses' face. Which glory was passing away? It was glorious. It was bright. They had to put a veil over his face. But it was passed away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The, I mean, this was glorious. They couldn't look at him. How much more glorious? we got two different ministries here. We have the ministry of death, and we have the ministry of the Spirit. Well, we expelled on that. Well, if the ministry of condemnation, that's the same ministry, ministry of death and condemnation, had glory, the ministry of righteousness that sees much more glory. So the ministry of condemnation and death are synonymous. So is the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. This is what we're talking about, folks. We're talking about being established in His righteousness. And our job, let's go back to two more. Our job is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. What ministry? Well, not the, not the ministry of death, not the ministry of condemnation, but the ministry of righteousness, 
which is the ministry of the Spirit. Okay? See, the, the ministry, well, you tell me the law was not glory. It was glory. It had glory. But the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more glory. <coughs> this is Paul talking about, talking in the New Testament. Okay? Now, this ministry of righteousness is called the ministry of the Spirit, but in two chapters later, it's also called the ministry of reconciliation. And we'll expand in great detail on this later to come. So, the fivefold ministry, our job is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay? Um, just look at my notes here to make sure I'm not missing something here. Now, this, this word edifying is to build them up, to build up the body of Christ. So, when our job is to perfect the saints, how do we do that? The Word of God that reveals God's righteousness. That cleanses us by the washing of the word. Okay? For the work of the ministry. What ministry? The ministry of righteousness. The ministry of the spirit. The ministry of reconciliation. For the edifying, for the building of, of the body of Christ. Okay? When you preach the gospel, when you preach the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of reconciliation, you will be building up the church. Okay? You'll be equipping the church. Now, notice with me, uh, that's why I use the King James here, there's a colon at the end of verse 12. What does edifying the church look like? What does edifying the church look like? It looks like, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith. And there's our subtitle for this prelude of talking about being established in righteousness. We're talking about being established in the unity of the faith. Our job, pastors and teachers and bishops and is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry of righteousness and spirit for the edifying of the body of Christ. What does that look like? Till we all come, not till, we some, not till some of us come, till we all come to the unity of faith. Until we all come to the unity of faith, we have work to do. In the church and outside the church. We have work to do until we all come to the unity of the faith. Remember, when I read this uh, uh, definition from Andrew Womack, love is the bond of peace, a uh, bond of perfection, excuse me. Love is a bond of perfection that holds us together. We are bonded together by doctrine, but we must have a shared foundation of doctrine to have true unity. You can't have true unity of the faith if you are not believing the same message. Which Paul said, I beseech you all, brothers, in the name of Jesus, that you all speak the same thing. Until we all come to the end of the day. And in the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a, what? Perfect man. How do you become perfect? <coughs> There's only one thing to become perfect, and that's through the blood of Jesus. That's to be born again. Unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. You know, you know what all this is talking about? Maturity. Maturity. 
Okay? It's talking about, you know, it's not just talking about maturity, it's also talking about fruitfulness, which I'll expand on in just a minute. It's talking about being development. And, and it's amazing that I'll expand on just a moment here. Um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. See? So, again, let me just recap and let me get back on track here. So, our job is to perfect the saints for the work of ministry when edifying the body of Christ. What does that look like? Until we all come to the unity of the faith. And to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's that's what we're doing. And if we're not accomplishing this here through teaching and preaching, then we have no business being in the ministry. That's not just true for me, that's true for any of you out there listening. If this is not your goal, then this is not your calling. Or you are not or you're not operating your calling. Okay? You're out of line. You miss. Can we get back on track? I used to be in ministry. I wasn't doing this. And I asked God for a do-over. That's when we started this church. Shortly before that time. Okay? But notice that there's another calling now. At the end of verse 13, just like at the end of 12, there is another calling here in chapter 13. So what did this look like? That we henceforth no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. We have to have a unity of doctrine to have true unity. Your doctrine is important. Because all scripture is possible for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training, righteousness, and be equipped. If your doctrine's off, you're going to be like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. By the slate and man and cunning and craftiness, whereby they wait in this to deceive. But speaking the truth and love, may we grow up and do all things which are the head of evil Christ. Let me get to this latter part in just a second. Okay? No more like children. I love kids. Kids are awesome. But spiritually speaking, there's three things about kids that are very not a red flag, because children, we were all kids at one point. Even spiritually speaking, we were all spiritual babies at one point. Okay? You can't become an adult until you're first a kid. It doesn't work any other way. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with kids. But there's something very cautious about kids. Kids are more fragile than adults. How are they fragile, and spiritually speaking? There's three things about kids that we need to be um, aware of, spiritually speaking of. First of all, kids are codependent. And there's a, there's a reason why kids need to be codependent. You can't just tell your kids, especially your toddler or your infant, go cook some dinner. Go get some dinner. Go get a job. Go change your own diaper. It doesn't work that way. Okay? There's a season, and as they grow older, that codependency should fade. As they get into young adulthood, adulthood, and adult, you know, what, what, what not. 
an elderly kid, that codependency should fade. But there is a process. Even being spiritual as a new believers. There's a time where we don't want codependency in the church. But at the same point in time, there's a time, there's a season where you need to be somewhat codependent on your pastor or spiritual parents to nurture you so that you grow up to him in all things. So that you be, be, grow to the measure of the fullness of Christ. This doesn't happen overnight. This is called discipleship. We are called to make disciples of all nations. Jesus spent three and a half years with the disciples before they started their ministry. Paul spent three and a half years at Damascus before he started his ministry after he got converted. <coughs> there is a time of maturity. And there's a time as physically, but socially, but there's also a time spiritually where there needs to be some codependency. That's why Paul, I believe it's in Timothy, says, don't put a novice in ministry. That's dangerous. That will harm that person as well as the, the ones who he's ministered to. There's a time where you need to be discipled. Okay? Another thing about children that we need to be aware of is that children are gullible. Children will believe anything that you teach them. Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, this or that. You know, I grew up, there was a point in time where I really thought that it was a Batman and Robin. We were going to go see Batman and Robin at the mall. And when we, when we drove into the parking lot, I was looking for the Batmobile. Okay? It can be cute, but it can also be dangerous in the right context. Children are gullible. As long as you will love them, as long as you're cool and not mean, as long as you're not abusing them, kids will bother you. You can have ten kids in the same household, and each kid might have their own role model of who they will follow. Because they have different tastes, different likes, different appetites, different things. Okay? And kids, kids are awesome in the church where you can teach them and the things of God. But if you're not going to teach them, somebody else will. In the world or out of the world. Someone will teach them. That's why parents are to train the child in the way they should go. Okay? Children are also, by nature, another thing to be uh, aware of, children cannot reproduce. A five-year-old cannot have a baby. They're not developed yet. They will in time. I mean, this is true about insects. This is true about plants. This is true about animals. Every, every animal, every species has a different timetable of when they can be reproductive. And that can be different from animal to animal. That can be different from plant to plant, and that can be different from humans. <coughs> I don't know the exact age when children can, re can reproduce. And I know through the ages, 
and even different cultures, what is considered an adult and what is considered a child, there's, there's some differences there. I've read stories and heard stories how kids, what we would consider kids today, got married when they were 13, 14, or whatever age. We look at that, but we have many examples in the Bible that when they were that young, and they were already treated like adults. So some of that can be cultural and different things, but God designed the human body to be re reproductive at a certain age. Okay? My point is this, that until we train people to come to the unity of faith, and we become indoctrinated, we become... We become in the knowledge of God and into the measure of the stature of Christ. Until we grow up into Him in all things, we can be like children tossed here and fro. We are not reproductive, we're gullible, we're codependent, and we can easily be deceived. You know, we have some Mormons come to our house at times. I'm too indoctrinated. You're not going to convince me to go to church to the Mormon. But some other young Christians who are not grounded in the Word of God, they're not equipped, they're not, they're, going back one more, they're not equipped, okay, they're not perfected, okay, they're not edified to a certain point, they're not come to the unity of the faith yet, they're there, they're on the pathway for that, they haven't come to the measure of sex of God, <coughs> they're not, they haven't grown up yet, they're not mature enough. They can be taught here and thrown by everyone of doctrine. You're not going to convince me that the Book of Mormon's more true because it has pictures in it. I'm not going to be deceived by that. I think that's stupid. You're not going to deceive me by something that's so ludicrous. But for a young Christian who's not grounded in the things of God yet, they're on the pathway of that. I'm not putting them down because they're a young Christian, but until they are established in the Word of God, they could be deceived by someone teaching them that. Why? They don't know better yet. They're like me. They can, there is a Batman and Robin. There is a Superman. You know, whenever we went to the city, I was looking for Spider-Man. You know? Swinging from woman's web on building the building. I was looking on Christmas Eve in the sky for Santa Claus to be somewhere up in the sleigh. Of course, you know, it wasn't the right time yet, but hey, I didn't know that. You get my point? So, let's get back to our message here. So, but notice here again at the end of 15, there's another colon. What does all this mean? From whom the whole body is fitly joined together and contacted by it, which every joint supplier, we all have a part to play. We're fitly joined together. That's why when there's a tear in the body of Christ, it hurts. When there's division, why? Because we're fitly joined together spiritually. And those roots, those muscles, go deeper than anything physical. Every joint supplier, we all have a part to play. According to the factual working, to the measure of every part, making increase in the body. We're supposed to be increasing the body until we're edifying. We're supposed to be edifying ourselves 
has a body and laughs. And we grow up into him in all things. Here are just some closing verses on these we've already talked about. As we're talking about, just edify yourself in love. We'll spend a whole time on this. But again, he's put all things under his feet. We just have over all things in the church, which is his body. When it's talking about his body, the body, it's talking about the body of Christ, you and me. Okay? It's talking about, when he's talking about, you know, his love, his love will say, edify yourself in love. He cleansed us. He sanctified us. Amen. Present us to himself a glorious church. Church is not just a single person. You are not the church by yourself. You are not the body by yourself. If my hand got cut off, my hand could not say, I'm the body. No, you're just a hand. But when my, my hand is connected to my body in the way it's supposed to be, it can say, I'm part of the body. Why? Because it's connected. Some people say this, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to pull hairs here, but they're like, I'm the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ if you're connected to it. But if you're saying you're the body of Christ by yourself, no, you're not. You're just a member of the body. You are important. You were worth dying for. You, you were, God has presented you to himself, a glorious a church. He cleansed you. He sanctified you. He died for you. He lives in you. But we are a unit. We are a church. We are a glorious church as a unit. That's why I can't, I can't, uh, I can't curse you. Because I'm cursing myself. You're part of the same. You're part of the same body. Okay. There's so much, so much deeper I can go with that. I want to move ahead here. I'm just about done. Also, we'll be looking at this again later. We already looked at this, but we want us to be edifying ourselves in love, being rooted in, grounded in His love, that we're edifying ourselves in, knowing the full dimension of His love, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly of all that we can ever ask or imagine according to his power that works what? In us. But did you know that the word us is plural? God's not just going to do stuff in me. God's not just going to do great works in you. He's going to do great works in us. Plural. I went over that over a little fast, but I slowed down here just to make a point. And we'll be looking at that too. We are the body of Christ. We are a unit. You are worth dying for. I was worth dying for. But God equipped us together as a body. He gave us a fivefold ministry for the perfecting or equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For the edifying of the body of Christ. When we when we, as a unit, are the bride of Christ. It's not just me and God. It's us and God. Yes, you need to have your personal relationship with God. But you also need to have a collective relationship with God with the whole body, with the whole church, the whole unit. Am I making, a, making sense? You need to... Have, and the best thing I can do for my wife is have my own individual relationship with God. But we also as a unit need to have a relationship with God. We need both. Okay? No one's an island to themselves. 
And everything I've shared today, everything I shared last week, is really just for the introduction to talking about being established in righteousness. And we're going to start digging into the main message next week and over the next several weeks. We'll be talking about being established in righteousness. Again, everything I shared this week and last week was really just a prelude. It was really just an introduction. Now we're going to get to the heart of the matter, talking about righteousness starting next week. Okay? Make it a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless.